Hello, friends, and welcome to this first series in our From God to Us podcast. In this series, I will be talking about the subject, Come, Let Us Worship. The reason I have chosen worship for this first series is that worship is essential to everything we are and everything we do as followers of Jesus Christ. We find worship from Genesis to Revelation in the Word of God, and we see this call to worship everywhere we look. And so we will be looking at this in several different messages and and looking what the Word of God has to say and helping us just better comprehend and putting ourselves in a state and attitude of worship that is pleasing to God. As we look at our nation, as we look around the world, we find that the Church of Jesus Christ has many different forms of worship, from liturgical to traditional to contemporary and even Pentecostal, various forms we see spread out around the world. And the thing is that God does not define any particular form of worship, and we have the freedom to worship Him in in many different ways. The focus is, are we worshiping him with the right attitude, with the right heart? Are we worshiping him in truth, in, in about what God is really like? And is we, do we really understand his nature and we are worshiping him according to that? Therefore, in this series, we will be exploring this a little bit more deeply. And, and I hope that as we go through this series, you will find it beneficial. You will find it encouraging and your heart will grow deeper in your love and your worship for God and for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This first episode is called The Wonder of Worship, in which we'll be looking to define uh, more clearly what worship is. We'll be looking at the importance of worship and what is our purpose in worship. So beginning this first topic of defining worship we look at the word worship is related to the word worthiness. It means something like worthiness. And it denotes the value of the individual receiving the special honor due his or her worth. It connotes actions motivated by an attitude that reveres, honors, or describes the worth of another person or object. So we see that worship is about ascribing some sense of worthiness of honor of respect to a person or a thing or an object some verses in the scriptures there are many many passages we can look at but a few that we'll look at here in the beginning the first one i would like to look at is uh, psalm 96 and there we read these words sing to the lord a new song sing to the lord all the earth sing to the lord praise his name Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families, of nations. Ascribe to the Lord the glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. 
tremble before him all the earth. What a beautiful psalm to help us see and, and define the, the attitude and the actions of worship. It involves singing. It involves declaring. It involves worship and praise of bringing gifts, of, of offerings to him. All these are part of what it means to, to worship God in, in who he is and, in, as it says, in the splendor of his holiness. Again, many passages we can turn to, but I want to turn to Revelation, the last book in our, in our Bible, where John, the Apostle John, is on the island of Patmos, and he sees many things. Most of you know Revelation. There, there's a lot of things that are hard to understand. But chapters 4 and 5 give this, this vision of the throne room of heaven, and, and what happens there is this, this glorious worship of God in two passages in chapter 4 and chapter 5 help us understand this marvelous worship that we find in heaven before the throne of God. John sees some uh, uh, this vision of the throne room. He sees these living creatures which he describes. But in verse 8, we begin reading there. It says, Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Here this throne room of heaven sees this glorious praise and honor and worship by these creatures and by these elders, which I believe represent humanity to some degree. And, and there is this worship in heaven that we will be involved in in our lives when we, re, when we reach heaven itself. In chapter 5, there's a picture of the Lamb who, who takes the scroll and who's the only one worthy to open the scroll. And then in verse 11 of chapter 5, we read, Then I looked and heard a voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousands. They enriched the throne of the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Oh, what a scene to describe for us what we are to be doing in the presence of of Almighty God. He deserves our worship. So worship is this giving unto him the praise and glory he deserves. A number of words are used in the Old Testament and the New Testament to uh, speak of worship. The Old Testament, there are two primary words. There are several words, but two primary words. The first one means something like adoration. It also can mean to serve. It means to, to adore something or someone and lift them up high. The other one 
word means something like to bow down or to do homage. It's the idea of bowing before something that you see that is greater or has more worth. It's the idea of humbling yourself before that person or that thing. In the New Testament, several words are used. Uh, The first one means something like to kiss forward, and it depicts the posture of kissing the ground in a reverent act of worship before a deity or before an idol or something. It's just that idea of to kissing the ground before. The second one means that is the idea to bend the knee or to be prostrate, to humble oneself down in a, in a position of kneeling or prostration. Uh, another word has the idea to offer sacrifice or to serve, to carry out a ministry of, of worship. And the last one refers to kind of a, a priestly ministry, and it's the word from which we get the word uh, liturgy. All these words come together, and when we, when we look all at all the verses in the Old Testament and the New Testament about worship, many, many passages we could look at, we, we come to the understanding that worship is what a person does because of who God is and what he has done. It's an act of service and sacrifice unto him. It involves the giving of one's complete self to God, and sometimes includes the outward expression of kneeling and prostration. Worship, then, is an attitude that produces action, not the other way around. A number of other passages we can look at in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where God is re-giving the law to the nation of Israel, and he calls them to obey his commands. And in verse 3, we... We read these words, Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in the land, flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord the God of your fathers promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. This passage in the Old Testament is quoted by Jesus in the New Testament to explain what is the greatest command to obey and to love and to worship God. And so worship is not only just the outward expression of our voices, but it's also the actions, the obedience in which God calls us. True worship is defined even clearer for us in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, which we'll speak more about in another session. But Jesus there says that those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. A couple of definitions I would like to give to you or explanations that I have found uh, that I want to read to you and and let you contemplate those a little bit. But from the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, we read, uh, worship is the dramatic celebration of God in his supreme worth in such a manner that his worthiness becomes the norm and inspiration of human living. I kind of like that when it says it's a dramatic celebration of God in his supreme worth. Another quote that I found from a book called Real Worship by Warren Wiersbe, and I love this quote, and, and I want you to listen to this carefully and what Wiersbe has to say. He says, if we look upon worship as a means of getting something from God rather than giving something to God, then we make God our servant instead of our Lord. 
and the elements of worship become a cheap formula for selfish gratification. Now, Wearsby is a wonderful teacher of the word, and he's full of grace. But uh, and as he explains this worship, I think he helps us understand clearly that worship is about what I give to God, not about what I get from God. I would like you to contemplate that a little bit and think about Wearsby's definition here, because obviously we do receive something when we truly worship God. But if my primary motivation is to get something, then that is not an act of worship. So anything that's not focused on God, that is, first of all, his worth, which refers to his characteristics, his nature, his being. It's not focused on his word, that is, what he has said to us, what he has communicated to us. Or upon his works, that is, all the things that he has done in the past and all the things that he's going to do in the future. Anything that's not focused on those things may not truly be an act of worship. Anything that's focused on what I want certainly is not an act of worship. A few years ago at our church in Colorado, I had had a gentleman come by to visit our church. It was before Sunday. He was wanting to look around and get an idea. He was searching for churches. And so he came into our auditorium and up on the stage, we had a we used a variety of instruments in worship, but there was a drum set there that we did use in our worship services. And he looked at it and he said, hmm, drums. You know, I just can't worship if you have drums. And I thought that was quite interesting because a few weeks earlier, uh, a person in our congregation who liked drums said to me one Sunday in which our drummer was not there, he said, man, I miss those drums. I just can't worship if we don't have drums. (laughs) I thought that was quite interesting that Drums prohibits one person from worship and is required for another person in worship. But you see, worship is not an act of whether or not we have certain instruments. It's not related to instruments really at all, though music and worship is a part of that. If we only have to have certain kinds of music in which we can worship God, then we've not truly understand worship. Now, I understand we all have preferences in styles of worship, And that's okay to have a preference. But to say, I cannot worship God in this kind of worship or only if I have a certain kind of worship, then we're focusing it on worship as our personal preference. Now, that's hard to think about uh, because, again, there are certain types of music and songs we don't like. (laughs) I like to use the example. You found out that the, the song Amazing Grace, which is a very favorite of many people down through the years, Even today, even in contemporary worship, sometimes we sing the song Amazing Grace. But you know, the the song Amazing Grace can be sung to a number of different tunes. Some of you remember the song, The House of the Rising Sun. You can sing Amazing Grace to that tune. (laughs) Or even worse, you can sing the Amazing Grace to the tune of Gilligan's Island, if you remember that show. Again, it's not about the tune, it's about the words. What are we saying and the attitude of our heart? So here's a question you can ask yourself about worship. Is worship primarily the result of my personal preferences or is it primarily the result of the overflow of the attitude of my heart? Good question to ask. 
I need to ask myself that. We all need to ask ourselves that. What is worship? Is it about me or is it about God? The second part of this message is about the importance of worship. And here we understand that why do we worship? Well, worship is what we were created and redeemed to do. Several passages of Scripture help us see this. First one we find in Psalm 33, reading verses 1 through 8. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting and upright to praise Him. Praise the Lord with a harp. Make music to Him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the words of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth feel the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. You see, Worship is basically in our DNA. We were created to worship. Isaiah chapter 42, verses 5 through 8, we read these words. This is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open the eyes that are blind, to free the captives from prison, and to release them from the dungeon who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. Wow. <laughs> God does not share his glory with anyone else. Now, some people may say, well, that seems a bit arrogant. But, you know, if God is God, and he is who he says he is, perfect, holy, righteous, above everyone else, all-powerful, almighty, completely loving and gracious and merciful, then he deserves praise. And God would not be God if he allowed anyone else to receive his praise. Another passage of the scripture in, in the psalm that we read in Psalm 19. For the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display the knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. The voice goes out into all the earth. And their words to the ends of the world. In other words, God created the heavens and the earth to bring him glory. All things were created to worship. You and I were created for worship. And everyone will worship something. You might worship, uh, people worship individuals, uh, rock stars or athletes or other types of uh, people we look to and we have respect for and sometimes even bow down and worship. 
We sometimes, even religious leaders, people look to and, and begin to worship. We, we worship our football teams or our political leaders and all types of things we give worship to. Sometimes it's even our families that we worship. And sometimes it is ourselves. We're going to worship something. What will it be? What will you worship? That's the question we need to ask. Another passage of scripture we find in Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. It says, In him we are also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And you were included in Christ when you heard the truth, the gospel of salvation, Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Not only were we created to worship and bring God glory, we have been redeemed to bring God glory. All things, all people have been created to worship God and specifically those whom he has redeemed have been given the responsibility to worship and glorify him. Thus, our purpose in worship is to please God. That's the last point here, is to do that which brings him glory and pleases him. God is pleased when you and I come to him with an attitude of worship and to give him the glory that he deserves. There is no other God. The only God is the true God the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the New Testament that we find, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one and only true God we are called to worship. Psalm 29 says, Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Friends, worship is what you and I were called to do. Worship is not an option for the believer in Jesus Christ. Worship is more than a Sunday activity. Worship is more than a set of songs and a set of preferences. Worship is also the way we live our lives. Worship is about God and His glory. Worship is not about you and me. I invite you to contemplate the things we've talked about here, the verses we've talked about. Maybe you can look these up and read them again. Pour some time and thought and effort over what worship truly is and ask yourself that question. Is my worship primarily about me and about my preferences? Or is it primarily about God and his glory? Let's pray. Lord, we are imperfect people. We know that many times in our own lives we seek our own will and our own purpose and, yes, even our own glory. We ask for your forgiveness for when we have done that. We ask now that you fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit. Turn our hearts and minds toward you that we might truly exalt your name and give you the glory that, that you deserve we might lift and exalt the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, proclaiming him as the only Savior of the world 
And may we be filled with the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for what you have done for us. May you receive the glory in all that we do. And we pray in the name of our glorious and wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.